the time has come is we've got to go the extra step. From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison. I'll compromise. We want to get the job done. I'm Addison Lathers. Geez, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to balance the power here. And I'm Claire Salmi. It's a patriotic responsibility, for God's sake. And this is 1050 Bascom. In this episode of 1050 Bascom, we're excited for the opportunity to interview Nicole Gulatz as part of our Career Conversations series. Nicole graduated from UW-Madison with a BA in International Studies in 2007. She's served as Chief Development Officer of the American Red Cross of Wisconsin, was Vice President of Development of Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Milwaukee, and started her own consulting company, and is now working in Geneva, Switzerland as a Senior Officer in Partnerships and Resource Development for the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. In this episode, we'll ask Nicole about her time at UW-Madison, as well as her career path on the way to becoming a senior officer for the IFRC working in Geneva. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Let's start and just kind of give you an intro because you haven't been here before. So would you be able to tell us your path into UW and like choosing your major? We know that you were uh, an international studies and political science major. Yeah, I um, when I, I knew I wanted to go to Madison pretty much instantly. And my my mom was a big cheerleader to go there. Um, but I think I was really interested in political science and international studies probably like my whole life. My grandparents immigrated from Germany and I spent the first five years of my life living with them, with my parents. And so I had a lot of introduction to German culture and we talked a lot about politics around the dinner table. Um, my grandparents became American citizens in 2007. So it just was something always that interested me. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it after graduation, so I'm glad that that has worked out pretty well, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was kind of a natural path getting there. So like speaking of your, you know, post-college kind of career, where did you find yourself right after you graduated? So I, um, I'll back up a little bit. So I did the Washington internship program the first year that it launched at UW in 2005. And through that, I did an internship with the World Health Organization Office to the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, which is like, you know, all the acronyms. Um, it was, you know, really exciting to be part of that, to be in that office. Um, but I felt like when I got there, I had like a lot more to give than the internship actually needed of me. Um, we had some classes and things too. But uh, the timing that I was there was when Hurricane Katrina had happened. So the American Red Cross had launched this like really big response, obviously the biggest one that they had had to date. And so a friend of mine was volunteering there and introduced me. And so I went over and literally like my job was to print out emails that the person I was working with like just couldn't get to because there were so many. So I did that for a few days and then we finally had a chance to have a conversation and she said, you know, would love to have you help. So I continued to do my internship with the World Health Organization, but spent actually more time volunteering with the Red Cross and I just like loved it. So when I graduated from Madison in 2007, I knew that I wanted to work there. I did not have a job uh, working there yet. My mom, I should say, my mom was 
like, you're just going to move there. Okay. <laughs> so I did, I found an apartment and I started working for a temp agency called professionals for nonprofits. I got placed at the Smithsonian for a couple months while I was trying to get a job with the red cross. And then I did. So I started as an administrative assistant in the individual giving units. Then I had the chance to work in the in-kind donations unit, which at the American Red Cross is just, I think, one of the coolest jobs because you're helping to get um, Clorox bleach and um, trash bags and Nestle water delivered to different disaster relief areas. In doing that work, I started to work with a lot of companies that obviously were donating the products. And so I started to do corporate partnerships. So I started to really be focused on a lot of the Midwestern companies. And so then it just kind of made sense. And we were sort of encouraged at that point to move closer to like the regions versus being in the headquarters office. And so I moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, close to home where I grew up in Kenosha. And I did that for a little bit. And then I got excited about working for the uh, American Red Cross chapter in Milwaukee because it was just really exciting to be in there. And, you know, I wanted to kind of help. One of the biggest things that the American Red Cross does is respond to home fires, uh, which in Milwaukee, there's one almost every day. And so I got, you know, just kind of excited to do that. And so I started to lead fundraising for the region and became the chief development officer. So... That's kind of my like long journey through the Red Cross. After that, I got recruited by the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Milwaukee to help with their fundraising. So I was the VP of development for them. Um, and then at the end of the year, I started to decide that I wanted to start my own consulting organization. So I did that. And just as I like got my feet wet into that, this opportunity to come back to the Red Cross and to work in Switzerland came up. So it's been exciting. Did you have an idea going like into your career that you wanted it to be something that, you know, had its twists and turns, something that was, you know, a little diverse along the way? Or did you think you'd become like a legacy hire in a department? <laughs> I definitely did not expect that. And I think advice I give a lot of times to people is just to keep doing what you like to do. Um, I felt sort of this weird feeling. So when I graduated um, in 2007, like I, I knew I wanted to work at the Red Cross, but I didn't, you know, really, you know, I didn't want to be like a doctor or a nurse or, you know, like a job. My husband is an engineer and I feel like he was getting recruited from all of these different organizations. Um, and that wasn't necessarily my experience, but I think it's so funny to me that as I look back, everything makes a lot of sense, but as I was taking steps, like I didn't know where the next step would lead, but I just kind of tried to ask myself, like, do I like what I'm doing? Okay. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and you know, I'm going to maybe look for other things to do, but I, you know, it's just kind of interesting how it unfolds. So I try and give myself that advice now when I find myself in the same situation, like it, it might not make sense, but it will someday. Understandable. Uh, before we jump in more to, you know, all the details about the IFRC, what would your advice be to students who, you know, are thinking about graduating or thinking about their job search, but might not know what their job search looks like yet, or might not know what they're interested in? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the best things I think you can do is to meet with other people that are working in different industries. I think, 
you know, for the price of a cup of coffee or, you know, beer on the terrace, depending on how well you uh, know them. I think that that's really one of the best ways to get information about what other jobs are like. And I think it, it also helps to, you know, make connections for you in ways that you might not expect. Um, I think that a lot of strangers, when, you know, they find that you're interested, they become friends pretty quick. And um, it's definitely something where uh, when you have somebody that you know, even just a little bit, they often can open a door for you that you might not have expected. Let's pivot to talking a little bit more in depth about some of your roles. So would you be able to tell us more about what a typical workday right now looks like for you at the IFRC? Yeah, so I've been working at the um, IFRC now for three, this is the end of my third week. So um, I just kind of got dropped into it a little bit um, in the middle of this, you know, massive response that we have right now for the Ukraine crisis, you know, helping refugees as they're relocating um, to other places. I'm working in the partnership and resource development unit. So a lot of it is sort of the fundraising and development work that I've done through my career. So in an average day, doing a lot of meetings with different partners, uh, corporations often that are interested in providing support, making a donation, um, you know, maybe getting their employees involved. So it's a lot of kind of meetings, working on different agreements with them. So if we agree to move forward, you know, how we will publicize the gift, how we will talk about it what sort of benefits they would receive in terms of, you know, recognition and, you know, how, how we would talk about it. So yeah, that, that's kind of been a lot of my day. I'm working with also a women's giving circle that we have called the Tiffany circle, which started in the United States. Um, so it's women that give $10,000 a year to support Red Cross programming and, you know, they have an interest in sort of spreading into other countries to sort of help support humanitarian missions. So helping them to make connections. And in your role, are you only focused on like an issue like Ukraine right now, for instance, and only doing fundraising towards that goal? Or are you sort of in all sorts of different departments? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, really, my focus has probably been like almost 100% Ukraine. Uh, when I agreed to do this at the beginning of the year, that was not really on the radar. Uh, so it's ended up being a little bit different than what I expected. But um, we definitely have done some fundraising. Also, one of the, the big programs that the International Federation raises money for is the Disaster Relief Emergency Fund. You know, there's many disasters every year that don't really get media attention and media attention tends to be what drives donations. So, you know, we we might hear a lot about Ukraine, obviously, on the news, and it's important that we do. But disasters, you know, like a big snowstorm in Nepal don't tend to get the same news coverage. And, you know, they can be extremely devastating where people lose their land, their livestock, and then, you know, maybe even have to relocate because of the, you know, severity and what's happened. So the disaster relief emergency fund that we have aims to help respond to those disasters. And we're even looking now um, as more and more disasters are happening with climate change to see if there's ways we can sort of adapt and mitigate some of those factors because um, prevention can prevent um, not only loss of life, but property uh, damage and and many other things. So when we can uh, prevent disaster, it has a lot of positive consequences. 
I know that you're only a couple of weeks into the job, so it's totally okay if you can't answer this, but at least on social media, it seems like there's huge support for so many different large organizations wanting to contribute to Ukraine, either funds or supplies. Do you feel like it's easier to find donors or organizations that want to help in this case than in others? I, I think there's been an amazing response for this disaster. Um, and hopefully it's wonderful. I think when the public does step up, what can be hard in fundraising is a lot of times the interest from media and from individuals then tends to wane after a crisis goes on for a long time. And like I said, there's a lot of disasters that have been going on for a very long time that seem to kind of fade into the background. So so we're trying as best as we can, I think, to just you know, mobilize and put that generosity to good use as people are being so generous. Um, but I also know the needs of this are, you know, just going to be immense. We initially at the Federation put out a $100 million appeal to help support the work, but I think it's going to be much more than that as, as time goes on, just based on the needs that we see. Yeah. I can't imagine trying to calculate out how much that ends up being. It has to just be astronomical. I guess to kind of pivot from that, how has it been for you moving to Switzerland? Um, it's been fun. It's, it's definitely been an adventure and it, it's kind of neat because I regretted so much at Madison that I never did study abroad. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of like made peace with it because I did the Washington internship program and, you know, that brought me to the Red Cross, which I really liked. So now that the Red Cross has brought me to Switzerland is just kind of amazing to me how life works, but it, it's been good. I definitely had fun packing to come here because I have this like closet full of dresses and realized like, okay, what can I suitably pack? I'm here for six months. So um, I try to stick to just a couple pieces of luggage, but it, it's been fun. Um, I'm in the French speaking part of Switzerland in Geneva. I took French in high school and at Madison. And so um, it's been fun to get to practice that in the grocery store and restaurants. Luckily at work, we speak English. Otherwise I probably would not be in great. <laughs> uh, but eating some chocolate, you know, partaking in local culture and just, you know, exploring a new city. So it, it's really, it's really cool. Um, work has been busy, but I'm, I'm grateful that I've had a little time to have some fun too. Looking back a little bit to your time at UW-Madison, what things did you do outside the classroom that maybe prepared you for the job that you have today, whether that be student orgs, internships, you know, outside the classroom studies, stuff like that? Sure. Um, I did guts tutoring, which was really fun. I got paired with a student from Japan and China, and we worked on English uh, language, which was just really fun. I think cultural exchange. Um, so I definitely think about that now as I'm kind of in a different culture. Um, and I was uh, writing fellows. I really enjoyed that. And that is just an experience I'm grateful that I, I had a chance to be part of because I have used, you know, obviously my writing skills a lot. I learned a lot about coaching, which I do a lot in my job managing people. And um, probably one of the best things that I did was I was a copy editor at the Daily Cardinal newspaper. I actually, so I met my husband, he wrote a comic and we got our wedding pictures in the Cardinal office. So um, we have a couple, which is really cool. 
That is so cute. Wow. Because we yeah. just had, we had another couple who both met, met at the Daily Cardinal take like their announcement photos. Oh, really? That is really cute. I'll have to, I'll have to remember that. Remember. Yeah. I feel like we had a really active group. And one of the things I like treasure about it so much is that my time there, I have friends that are in like New York, LA, like working in all kinds of different industries. And um, well, I would say like it maybe necessarily hasn't like directly influenced my career. It, it's just super cool um, that those relationships have kind of blossomed in a way that I, I didn't expect when I literally was just looking for something to do after leaving Og Hall on Thursday night. And, you know, at the time I was like, great, well, I get brownies. You know, somebody brought those to the editing desk every week. But um, but yeah, it, as it turns out, it had far, far greater use than that. You said that you did the Wisconsin and Washington program the first year that it started. And obviously that led to career development. Did you do any other internships during your time at UW? The only other internship I did, I would go back to Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I'm from in the summer. And so I did an internship with their public works department on sort of the garbage and recycling, um, which is not super sexy, but um, honestly, there were, it was an amazing group of people that I worked with. And honestly, one of the bosses that I had there was definitely a mentor of mine and an encourager of me to go to Washington because she did that herself too. So um, that was kind of my, my path. Very cool. Is there anything you wish someone had told you when you were in college that you think would be useful to a student in general, or maybe specifically to poli-sci students? I think one of the best pieces of advice that I would say is to really focus on goals that you can control. A lot of times I think it's easy to sort of focus on like, I want to have this job or I want to have this promotion or I want to get this award or this recognition. And all of those things are kind of outside of your control. So I think the best advice is, you know, to, to do what you can control. So it's to apply for jobs, you know, set a goal for that, to write a certain number of articles if you're a writer, to paint if that's what you like, you know, whatever it is you like to do, to set goals around that. And um, actually, one of my Daily Cardinal colleagues, Emily Winter, um, she wrote an article for the New York Times that is like just one of my favorite pieces is to almost like set a goal to fail. Because I think so often we forget that you succeed more when you try more and when you try more, you fail more. And so um, her article that she wrote for the, the Times was about a new year's resolution she set to get rejected a hundred times for writing pieces that she was sending out um, and she made it. But, um, you know, through the course of that, she also, you know, had much, much more success and much more success for things she never would have dared to put herself out for. So that's, that's something I learned after college from a college friend. Well, while we're here, you know, uh, some graduates are surprised to find that like a really high GPA, their degrees, all this stuff they did in the class or maybe aren't equaling to as many job offers and as interviews as they thought would be, you know, coming down the bend. What do you look for when you are looking to, you know, either hire someone to work with you, work with someone? What pulls you? Yeah. It's definitely really fun when you're reading a resume to see that somebody 
has like a passion for something, you know, if there's a cause that they're involved, obviously I'm like a nonprofit person. So that is something that appeals to me. But when you can see that somebody has sort of worked on an issue or that there's something that they care about, I think that always is sort of a standout for me. I think the other thing that is a standout, and especially when you're a hiring manager and things are as crazy as they are. um, And I think Right now, the job market is pretty crazy. I know in our fundraising, um, some of the last roles I've had, you know, there's open positions. So you're kind of covering it or managing people that are covering extra. And often, you know, to, to make time for hiring is kind of hard. And so what I would say is, you know, as we were talking about earlier with, you know, networking and getting to know people, informational interviews, when somebody would say to me, like, hey, Nicole, I've met with you know, Addison, and she's awesome. She's really passionate about what you're doing uh, at the Red Cross, you know, or she's really interested in fundraising. That is something that makes me say like, oh, I'm definitely going to to reach out. I would say um, it doesn't have to be a passive process either, where you just like, you know, click submit on your job application. There's so many tools we have now, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, you can usually email your hiring manager or, you know, somebody else that works at the company and just sort of say like, Hey, I'm really interested to hear what you do. I'd love to get coffee. I'd love to connect. And I think most people are interested in doing that. And the fact that, you know, we can be here on a zoom right now, it's, it's so easy to connect that you don't even have to really leave your house. Um, So that makes it easier. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that we talk about a lot in these career conversations is not always, but sometimes the gap between being a liberal arts student in LNS and then having to go out into the job market and actually have hard skills that someone is asking you to use. So would you have any advice for those kind of gap areas that students could fill in? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think part of me kind of feels like I don't know that that's even necessarily uh something that you have to cover for some, you know, to have a liberal arts degree. I think most of the people that I hired had liberal arts degrees and they were amazing fundraisers. I think, you know, it definitely is helpful to understand a budget. Um, You do most organizations and departments kind of run off of those. So I think, you know, to have that sort of working knowledge is good. I think one of the best things you can do, whatever field you're in, you know, even if it is like a hard science is to understand, you know, if you're working for somebody, what their goals are, what is going to make them successful, um, to understand how your job fits into what the bigger priorities of the department are and what the organization is. Because I think a lot of times, especially when you're starting out, you know, in, in fundraising, for example, your job might be to plan the special event. But ultimately, you're in a department whose job is to raise more sustainable funding for the organization. So I think it's sometimes, you know, the the goals that you have in your role can almost put you in conflict to what the larger goals that you are supporting are. So in fundraising, you know, if it's bugging a donor 100 times because you want to get a sponsorship from them, if that's ultimately going to turn them off and not, you know, it's not for the best interest of the organization. So my advice to people starting out is always just to kind of make sure you understand how you fit into what, what the larger goal is of the, the mission that you're trying to accomplish. Next, we'd love to ask about work-life balance, the myth, the legend, maybe reality. <laughs> what, what would your advice be to, you know, 
millennials, recent grads who are struggling to find that balance between, you know, like being productive, but also like being a sane person? I have to tell you my credentials in this area are probably something that are under review. I'm not the best and working for a disaster organization that tends to like pull you at different times. Um, the And I think the world we live in, just how blurred everything is between what is work and what is life uh, makes it hard. I think what has worked the best for me and what I try to try every day um, is to set an intention in terms of maybe like one, two or three things that I wanna get done that day. Um, ideally there's personal and professional in the mix. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of journaling. So, you know, to reflect at the end of the day, if I did that. And I think when you're journaling, you can sort of get a better sense of if you're making the same mistakes over and over again. Um, another really good tip I've learned from a friend, um, Katie Rasool, that has a, a leadership podcast and does all kinds of awesome things with her organization, Team Awesome, is to really sort of understand and learn your own energy and how to manage it so that you can be thoughtful and set yourself up for success. You know, if you know, even if everybody else starts the workday at 7 a.m. and comes in super excited with their coffee. If that's not how you roll, don't try to put yourself in a situation where you have to do that. So, you know, if you kind of get your fuel and you know, your ideas in the evening, that's when you want to kind of structure your day to be productive. I think learning yourself and what your sort of habits are can make you an ally to yourself uh, rather than like an enemy because it can be hard sometimes uh, to get that balance for sure. I'm curious what you think as someone with a lot of nonprofit experience at this point in your career, there's sort of a hesitation that I've heard from a lot of like poli-sci or international studies students to go that route right after graduation. I think there's a little bit of this attitude around working for nonprofits that you're going to like always be struggling or that there's not as much security in the organization. Does that ring true at all for you and your experience? That's a great question. I will say, I feel like I've been very fortunate in my career that I felt, you know, like I was having a good experience from, you know, a standpoint of, you know, learning on the job, growing with awesome mentors and, you know, amazing leaders around me and being paid at a level where maybe I could get paid more in the private sector, but I wasn't, you know, struggling in a sense to, you know, put things together. But I would say, I do think our sector, and there's a lot of conversation in that we do ask people to do a lot and the pay is, is lower. I think right now it feels like there's so many openings that I would have to say, like, it feels like there's good security, but um, I guess I can understand that sentiment a little bit. But that said, I think if you're working for a mission that you care about, that can feed you in wonderful ways, I think. Um, but you definitely have to make sure that you're in a place where it's a positive work culture and you've got other great things going for you and that ultimately, you know, you can afford the things that you need to afford. What has been the best piece of advice you've ever received? It's probably from my mom, who would always 
say um, a lot of many, many things, but she was really good at helping me and my two sisters find motivation and find the answer to a problem. Because I think when I would get stuck and come to her and ask for help, um, not that she wouldn't help me, but she would say like, you can't, you know, can you figure it out yourself? What, what do you need to do? And I think I find myself doing that a lot that when I hit a roadblock and I say like, this can't be done. My mom's voice is in my head saying, can it not be done? Or do you just need to think about it a different way? And so I definitely channel that a lot um, in fundraising, you know, sometimes the goals seem too high or, you know, it doesn't seem like you can do it. And um, I think just kind of taking that pause for a second to just say like, how can we get this done? Um, that's probably been one of the most impactful pieces of advice in my life. What has been the most rewarding project that you've worked on in the past couple of years? Is there a specific cause that's really stood out to you that's been really rewarding to fundraise for? Yeah, I think my time um, at the American Red Cross Wisconsin region, we launched a project called the um, Home Fire Campaign, which is still active today. And the goal of the campaign is to get more working smoke alarms with 10-year lithium batteries installed into homes. And so, you know, I was saying earlier that home fires are the most frequent disaster. There's one every eight minutes in the United States. And I believe it's every day, seven people lose their life in a home fire. And the most common reason for that is that they don't have working smoke alarms. Um, and it's, it's super easy. Like I definitely even remember in college where like, you know, it starts beeping and you take the batteries out or something. Right. Um, but that campaign at this point, you know, now a few years in has already helped to get, you know, thousands of families outside of their home safely in a fire. And so to have, you know, worked on that from the launch, that's definitely one of the things I'm most proud of and makes me feel really good. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you would like to talk about before we start wrapping up here? No, I don't think so. Have, have fun in college. I think that would be one of my pieces of advice too. Like, I, I don't think enough people told me that. Um, I think I did okay, but um, hopefully you all and everyone that's listening, you know, have some fun because even that fun will lead places you never could expect. Before we leave, we'll, we'll ask one quick fun question and it's going to be a two-parter. So, you know, okay. hold on tight. What is your favorite part about Switzerland and what do you miss most about Wisconsin? So favorite part, I think, um, and I, this is sort of true of Milwaukee as well, though not quite as much is I love just how walkable Switzerland Geneva yeah. has been. Um, I can walk 15 minutes to work, maybe even less than that. I can walk to the grocery store. I can walk so many places and the public transportation is like amazing um, to realize, you know, and using like a Google app, like you can figure out how to get anywhere and never have had to wait more than probably 10 minutes for a bus. Last weekend, I took a train to Montreux. It was like an hour and a half and it was like bus to the train station, train station to the bus, bus to the castle. So um, it, it's just, that's been super cool. And I'm excited as I have more time here um, and hopefully a little bit more time for fun that I can do a little bit more exploring using this awesome system. Um, and then Wisconsin, like I miss my people. You know, I just, I have a lot of friends working in fundraising, you know, it's very relationship based and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that I 
love are there. So um, missing definitely my husband, my dog and my cats, you know, they'll, they'll come visit. Uh, maybe not the dog, but you know, well, I'll be back. So that's what I miss. Thank you so much for coming on to this episode of our career conversations series. It's been great hearing about your very interesting career and all that lovely advice you've had for us. Uh, we hope you had a great time too. Thank you. This is really cool. Thank you so much. For more information, visit polysci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Addison Lathers and Claire Salmi and produced by Amy Gangle. Thanks for listening.